everyone. I'm Lee Savalixic, and this is the Artsbound Podcast, where I speak with professionals from across the performing arts industry to capture bits of wisdom, insight, and inspiration for young people considering careers in music, theater, and dance. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Lidecker, who is a gigging drummer based in Nashville, Tennessee. He does a handful of other things to supplement his professional life, but drumming is his primary work within the performing arts. He's got some great things to say about how to approach your training in college as a musician, as well as the importance of finding your niche within the industry. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Chris. Hey, Lee. Thanks for being here for our very first podcast. Um, What we're doing here is uh, trying to create basically kind of a library of interviews with people who are professionals within the music and theater industry and have them talk a little bit about what they do, have them talk a little bit about their studies and how they prepared and the pathway that got them to where they are now. And uh, I wanted you to be our first interview because you have... um, you have music in your blood. It's uh, it's basically the family business. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and you and I know each other from when I was teaching, and you were a senior in high school and looking forward towards your your college time and and studying music. So, um, before we get into all of that, though, could you just tell everybody a little bit about what you do now? Where do you live, and um, what do you do as a music professional? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I now live in Nashville, Tennessee with my wife, Corinne, and I work um, basically mostly as a performing musician, um, but there are kind of a variety of other music-related things that I do now as well. Um, over the years, I've taught some lessons, and I've gotten into writing music, uh, instrumental music cues that go into television shows and commercials and things like that. Um, I've gotten into you know, doing some recording engineering and producing for songwriters and artists here in Nashville. So I have kind of a little home studio set up and I'll bring them over and um, we'll record their songs here, but we'll also work on kind of co-writing the songs or tweaking them. And we do all the mixing and production here and all of that. Um, I've gotten into building a little bit. uh, So doing some studio building with um, a friend of mine who owns a business. He's a contractor. And I mean, for the most part, I I think that's it with my music related endeavors you kind of just some, it seems like, uh, some things kind of pick up for a little while while other things calm down. So sometimes I might be more busy performing and it might be on the road a little more and then I'll get a couple months off and I'll be in Nashville and I'll do more producing and mixing and editing and composing. And then, you know, it just kind of comes in waves, but altogether, that's what I do. Okay, so you said that most of the work that you do is in performing. And is that performing there in Nashville or on the road? Currently, the majority of my performing is on the road. Um, It didn't start that way when I moved to Nashville because I didn't really know anyone. We kind of were, we just showed up here. We had never been here before, but we decided we wanted to move. And uh, 
So the first thing we did when we both got to town, because my wife is, she's an actor and a vocalist, um, is we just started digging into the local scene as much as we could, meeting as many people as we could, looking for local performance opportunities. And so for about three years, the vast majority of my performing was was local with little tours or out-of-town uh, runs of shows just every now and then. But I was playing in town a few times a week at different places and doing more recording sessions and stuff. But now I tend to be on the road more. Okay, and how... So for someone who is thinking about being a performing musician and they say, you know, I I understand that being on the road is a part of that and that's really exciting, but I also eventually want to have a family. Like you've mentioned, your your wife Corinne is is there also doing work inside um, Nashville and the surrounding area. So how much time are you two apart from each other? What What amount of time do you spend on the road? You know, right now it's like, uh, well, first of all, we don't we don't ever like to be apart from each other. You know, it's not it's, <laughs> sure. not it's not preferable. But at this point, we, you know, we don't have children yet, and um, because we're both in the performance industry, we, there's just kind of this mutual understanding, like that there's going to be some time that we spend apart. Corinne has had to travel to New York City before for a couple weeks to do rehearsals for a show that she was doing, or she'll. Uh, She'll have to go down to Atlanta periodically for things. And um, I hit the road to play gigs and we just get it and we support each other in that. Um, Of course, we miss each other and, you know, all of that. But right now, our life kind of, it kind of makes it easier for us to do that because it's just the two of us. Things are pretty simple. Um, Sure. So on average, like when I, when I do a tour with the, uh, artist that I do my primary touring with is Michael W. Smith. And when I tour with him, we typically do kind of a weekend sort of format. So we'll leave, we'll do a spring tour that might be 25 shows, but we won't just leave and play 25 shows. We'll, we'll leave on like a Thursday night and we'll go out for the weekend and we'll play maybe three or four shows. We'll come back on like Monday morning, be home for a few days and then leave again Thursday or Friday and do the same sort of format. So it actually is like pretty amazing. It makes it much easier to feel like you're at home and kind of continue your normal family domestic life without too much interruption. Um, every now and then, if we're traveling further away, international stuff, we'll be gone for like a week or two at a time, but that's pretty much the maximum with him. He doesn't, he's got a huge family. He's got a bunch of grandkids. And so he doesn't like to be gone for absolutely any more than two weeks at a time which kind of helps okay. all of us in the band as well so yeah right that's what it looks like for me currently it's it's actually pretty nice yeah and to get a gig like that where you're in a you know i guess it's not too much different than uh a corporate employee who you know needs to travel as a consultant here or there or, or to give talks at you know keynotes um and where you're out for a few days and then back um and you mentioned that sometimes you do international stuff you just came back from south africa where you were gone for about 10 days yep. is that right yep that's right and that you know about two to three days of that is just travel i mean our when we were leaving cape town to get home we were 
we flew Cape Town to Johannesburg to Atlanta to Nashville. And so when we're leaving Cape Town, that started about 30 hours of continuous transit just to get home. You know, so on, on longer trips like that or trips that are further away, some of that time away is just the travel time to get to and from. I think that when some people think about a touring musician, um, they say, well, you don't, you don't do that unless you've got a record deal and, um, or, or maybe you don't have a record deal yet and you're, you know, you're the indie band that packs everybody into the van and you're gone for two months traveling across the country. So, um, you got to where you are without doing either of those things. Can you talk about what it's like to be, um, kind of, what what would you call yourself? Like a contracted musician? Yeah. I mean, I fit very much, I fit into the sideman category as far as a musician goes, um, there, it's more complex than this, but if I had to simplify it a lot, I would say that you have, you have artists or front men or women, you know, mm-hmm. and then yep. you have musicians or side men or women. So I fit into the kind of side man, uh, category because I am not the one basically writing the songs, trying to get the deal, trying to promote myself, trying to get people, kind of the public to pay attention to my art. But I am the I'm the musician that that person hires when they want to take the, their music on the road. And in a place like Nashville or L.A. or New York City, uh, kind of major hubs, at least just within the States, um, these are major hubs for musicians and artists and So that means typically that an artist is going to have a band made up of kind of individuals that have been hired that will kind of come and go based on availability. You see a lot of, you might see an artist do a tour from like February through March, maybe into April, and then do another one in the summer and have two or three different members of the band just based on availability. Um, Unless you have a really, really kind of steady, uh, mainstream, like well-paying, well-retained gig, a lot of these musicians like myself, you kind of float around and do a lot of different jobs and a lot of different tours with artists because you got to keep working even when the, one of those artists is not touring. So right. that's, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I have fallen into the place that I'm at because um, it's almost more flexible for like a side musician because you can work with like 20 different artists. Whereas if you are trying to be an artist, I have so much admiration for these people because they have like the hardest jobs in the world because they, they pretty much have to put the entirety of their energy and career and them just in themselves. Um, Cause the promotion and the booking and building a team and, constantly putting out content and writing new music and recording it and funding the whole thing. It all rests on your shoulders until you get a team and a label and support and all that stuff. Uh, so I don't think I'm quite cut out for that. (laughs) So (laughs) I stay in the sideman area. Okay. So you mentioned LA, you lived in California for a while before moving to Nashville. Would you say that your experience there was important to your success in, in becoming kind of part of the scene in Nashville when you got there? Uh, 
Yeah, definitely. What I learned when I moved to California, because I was straight out of college, so it was a really good experience for me. And we actually lived in Northern California. We lived in the Bay Area. And I took some trips down to LA for gigs and just visits and things like that. But the thing that I learned uh, or the thing that stuck with me the most about making that move was just how do you show up to a place uh, where nobody knows who you are and how do you kind of like integrate into that existing scene where you have a bunch of musicians and artists who have working relationships with each other and they all kind of have their their routines and their normal bands that they put together and somehow you are trying to fit into that so that you can work and make a living and make music with people and build relationships and friendships and all of that. And so moving to California was kind of the first time that I ever had to just start from scratch, don't know a single soul out here, and uh, and then try to build up some sort of sustainable career while I was living there. And that basically was the same exact process that I had to go through when I moved to Nashville, but it was just on a more intense scale because Nashville is just loaded with musicians. It's you know, music cities, what they call it. So, uh, yeah, doing it in California really kind of helped. It, it made me confident that I could move to Nashville and, and kind of quote unquote, do it again, like just start from scratch and build relationships and find people who appreciate me as a musician and show them what I have to offer them and, and basically create, create a value associated with me in the music industry. That's really powerful, and I think a really good thing for listeners to hear that a lot of the success is, um, you know, we haven't we haven't talked about your playing, but uh, but you're a phenomenal player, and you've worked incredibly hard at uh, at just your your craft and your chops. Um, but so a lot of the success is also in kind of life skills and just being able to go into a place and say, hey, I'm going to make the relationships, I'm going to make the connections, and I'm going to have the, the confidence in myself to do that. And know, um, knowing what value you bring, knowing that you have value to bring, and also knowing what that value is, I think sometimes... Um, we can spend a lot of time thinking that, oh, well, I, if, I, if I don't sing like so-and-so or if I don't, you know, whatever that could be, we kind of have expectations of the value that we're supposed to have. Yeah. But everybody has some type of value to bring. And it's uh, the importance is knowing that you have it, number one, and then figuring out what it is so that you can walk into a situation confident and say, um, this is what I have to offer uh, to this relationship or this work situation. Uh, so that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, along those lines, like a big lesson that I'm continually learning, or it's just a thing that is becoming more and more ingrained in my mind and my heart is, it's kind of in two parts. One, there is room for everyone. So the, to be a musician or a part of an artistic community and to be working in that artistic community and making basically a space for yourself, that does not need to happen at the expense of other people or in place of other people trying to do it. Um, it's easy to accidentally like let our insecurities and our egos 
get get us in a place where we feel like we have to climb to the top or we have to, um, if somebody else gets a gig, it's they got it and we didn't, so they took it or something like that. You know, there's just kind of this toxic mentality that can sometimes exist. But what I'm realizing is is it's actually the opposite of that. It's actually that we're all kind of doing it together. And if we all are looking out for each other, that's kind of the best way for us all to rise to the top together. So I need to be looking out for opportunities for my, like some of my closest friends here in town, of course, are musicians, are drummers, guitar players, bass players, or whatever. And so I'm always looking for my opportunities, but I'm also looking around for if something comes along my way that I can't do, or, or I hear about an opportunity that's not a right fit for me, I need to be thinking about, well, who do I know? Who are some of my people that I can help get into that position? Because that's how we all flourish. If we if we can all maintain that mindset, then we all move up together. Right. Um, and I'm sure that that there have been several people in your life that because they were thinking that way helped you get to help you get you to where you are. One hundred percent. I mean, just, I I can honestly say with a hundred percent honesty that every kind of major opportunity that um I've come across has has been for that exact reason. Somebody who knew me and trusted me and believed in me and was close with me basically put my name in when it was something that I had no idea even existed. It was an opportunity that I didn't even know about and somebody was in the background making a recommendation or pointing that opportunity towards me on my behalf. It's not... I pretty much, for the most part, have never really gotten anything via like quote-unquote audition or formal audition or anything. Sure. Those things happen, and you want to go after those opportunities for sure. But my experience has been it's the relationships and it's the support from people who are doing it with you and that love you that that allows you to kind of continually move up. Um, Wow. Thank you. The other component to that is... Uh, so there's that mentality that I think where we're all in this together and it's not me at the expense of you or you at the expense of me. So there's that. And then also just knowing that even if you are absolutely phenomenal at the thing that you do, you are not necessarily right for every opportunity that you see and want. Uh, because there's such a wide array of personalities and players and musical influences or whatever, well, I'll speak in drummers just because that's what I, the world that I'm in. But I could, I could probably rattle off 20 artists or gigs that I would really, really love to play with someday, kind of as a dream or whatever. And I guess it could happen. But I could also recognize that maybe this, the background and the influence and the skill set that I bring to those gigs might not be like the best, best fit. And that there are plenty of guys that might be a little more suited to that based on where they come from and the personality that they are and all of that. And I think just being at peace with that is very important to realize that if you if you went for something and you didn't get it, it's not necessarily because you weren't good enough, but maybe you just it just wasn't the right fit for you and that's okay. 
there are plenty of things that are the right fit for you. So this is just another kind of mentality thing that I've kind of come to terms with and it and it allows you to kind of not um, be broken down or affected too much by passing opportunity because it's like, you know what, not everything's right for me, but I can rest like assured that I will find the things that are right for me. Yeah. And you know, that really, I really resonate with that. My own journey is really a reflection and a testament to what you just said. Uh, I just accepted the job of uh, executive director for uh, an arts nonprofit, the Pittsburgh Youth Course in in Pittsburgh, and uh, after having searched for nonprofit positions for several years, because that was uh, where I wanted to end up in the direction that I wanted to go in, but um, and not being turned down for much lower level positions, coordinator positions, part-time positions for other organizations that, um, like you said, I just kind of wasn't the right fit. And sometimes, you know, I would have to psych myself uh, up and say, well, it's not, it's not because I don't have skills to offer. What I was saying about like you have some value to offer, but it's just that it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and finally and eventually I, I found that right fit. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you mentioned uh, a little ways ago about uh, just having a sustainable career. And so uh, a, a lot of young artists, so I, a lot of our listeners are, are high school students and um, perhaps um, younger college students or people who are um, maybe just getting out of college and just thinking about what to do with their careers. Um, and especially for those high school students that are making decisions about what to do after they graduate, what to major in, whether to go to college or maybe take a gap year, um, they and their parents are concerned about job security when they think about doing something like what you're doing and having the ability to make a living. So um, can you talk about a little bit about how you make ends meet and maybe how you did it, especially when you were first getting started? Yeah. I would, I want to start by saying that that concern is a healthy concern to have. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It it is, it is difficult. It is difficult. This is, we're not talking about something where, you know, you got hired as an employee and then you settle into like your salary and your paycheck and Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that type of work, but this is not that type of work. (laughs) This is very much, you, you need to think about it as you are building a business. Um, and so if you, maybe if you were in a different industry, if you moved to a new city and you were trying to start like a, a food truck or something like that, you had absolutely zero connections and, uh, you're just starting from the ground up. Like you have to recognize that if you if you don't pursue every opportunity possible and do everything you can to make that to to get customers and basically make that thing take off and become profitable, it won't just happen on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, yeah, it's a healthy concern to have. Um, I will say that f- in my experience. This isn't necessarily fact, but this is just what I've seen. The kind of modern musician, as I'll speak as kind of a sideman musician, is responsible for knowing how to do more, like a wider variety of things, 
now than they used to be maybe 20, 30 years ago. So I think back when there was a lot more money flowing through the music industry because records were selling, people were buying physical copies of things and tours were bigger. There was bigger labels um, were kind of moving artists through more often. Record deals were more lucrative. All of that, there was just more money in it. I think it was more realistic to say, I'm going to go be a guitar player and only a guitar player and just tour sure. or whatever. And you can still do that, but it's just fewer and far between, far between. So um, I think what we have to realize now is that being just a guitar player, it's not that it's not possible, but I think you are lowering your chances of creating a sustainable career considerably if you only do one thing maybe right. you're a guitar you, you ta- player sorry go ahead no yeah i was gonna say maybe you're a guitar player but um you also teach some lessons and you also um who knows maybe you write like like i do you write music when you're at home that goes into television shows or you uh you have some audio engineering knowledge so you edit podcasts for people or you kind of get a contract with a company who makes um that produces content and you do some video editing or something like that that i just know so many people who have kind of gone from instead of just being i am a musician and i play my instrument to i am kind of a all-encompassing media professional. You know, I work Mm. with video, I work with audio, I do a little recording, I do some writing, I do playing, I do some teaching. This is just kind of, kind of the world that we live in, the professional world, I think, because there's less money in it. So each individual is expected to do more and be more self kind of sustaining. So speaking to someone who's interested in kind of creating a career as you have, you would really recommend learning audio production and audio engineering and um, like uh, you built your own website if I am correct. Yep. yep. Yeah. yeah. I I think being savvy with just kind of media technology in general, whether that's photo editing, video editing, um, understanding audio and production, I think is kind of just a, it's a must these days. Yeah. Um, there's probably 1% of people who can get through without knowing how to do that stuff because for one reason or another, they're just like a killer on their instrument and they got an opportunity or whatever. But for the vast majority of like working class musicians, you just, yeah, you got to kind of be a jack of all trades. Um, so you ever wait tables? I you ever, you ever do the the day job thing? I have not um, waited tables. I have not worked in the food service industry. But what I have done, um, started about three four years ago, is done. You know, building, remodeling, construction stuff. Um, it kind of started because we were wanting to remodel our own house, and I wanted to learn. So I started working with a buddy of mine. But what it has now turned into is an excellent kind of alternative income source for when music things slow down or um, if I just, if we're trying to save money for something and I just kind of want to like pad my work a little bit um, or just whatever, who knows, maybe in a few years if if I had a child or two or something and I didn't want to be on the road at all anymore, 
and I didn't have enough in-town music work, I all of a sudden have another skill set now where I could build studios, remodel houses, do that sort of thing to support my family without having to leave town for weeks on end. So, um, yeah, that that's incredibly common. Waiting tables, having an, an alternative alternative source of income or skill set. And I just see it as wise, honestly. Some people might think it's, you're counting yourself out or whatever, but I see it as, I just see it as wise. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's, let's back up. I feel like we're kind of working back way, uh, backwards through your, uh, your career here. Um, let's talk a little bit about college because like I said, um, uh, a lot of our listeners here are probably high school students who are thinking about what to do after they graduate and they're saying, what do I major in? Now you majored in music education and a lot of people who do that, they plan to teach music in the public schools. And like I said, music is kind of your family business and, um, both your parents, uh, taught in the family school. I, I taught with them, and um, they are dear friends and mentors of mine. Uh, your brother taught in the public schools for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you did not. What made you, uh, even though you went all the way through that training, um, what made you decide to do something differently? It, it just kind of happened that way because, um, because my wife, Corinne, and I met when we were in college. We were going to different schools. By the time I was graduating college, I was finishing my student teaching. We had just gotten engaged and she had taken a theater contract, a year long theater contract in California in the Bay area. So I'm finishing up student teaching and my fiance is moving to California to work at this theater, be an actor and do touring and stuff. And all I care about at that point is being with her. So I'm like, well, I'm moving to California. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not certified (laughs) to be a teacher in California. I'd have to take some more classes and take some tests and get my certification, but I'm moving there and I'll figure it out. And so it it was almost like I didn't know exactly what I was going to do when I graduated and I moved out there and the path of least resistance when I got there seemed to be like, okay, well, I could jump in. I've got a music education background. I could jump into private teaching uh, without necessarily needing to be like recertified in California. And it would give me flexibility because I really like performing. So maybe I can fit into the gig culture here a little bit. And that's just kind of how it happened. I started teaching piano lessons at this little studio. And all of a sudden I've got like 25, 30 students a week that I'm teaching piano to. Oh wow! And I'm fitting in all these jazz combo gigs. And I really started to enjoy the kind of flexibility of that lifestyle. There, w- there was a little less kind of job security and guarantee um, because I was technically self-employed. So, you know, I'm on my own for healthcare. I'm paying self-employment tax, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, I retained more control of my time, which is very, very important to me. And so it was just kind of a mindset that after I worked for a couple of years in California this way, teaching and playing, I just kind of decided I'm going to I'm going to do this as long as I possibly can. Maybe there's a time in my life where I can't sustain anymore doing this and I start teaching full time and that's totally cool, but I'm going to do this as long as I possibly can. And here I am. It's been I graduated in 2011 and it's 2019, so um, yeah. I've been doing it for 8 years just in some 
form, you know? Yeah, good for you. So one of the things that I hear you... Um, that I hear you saying is the importance of financial literacy. And as we are working to put together our coaching programs for young people who want to go into the performing arts, uh, financial literacy is a big part of that. So just understanding what it means to be, uh, like you mentioned, self-employment tax and the balancing a budget and making sure that you are budgeting and that you understand what your expenses are month to month and and what money you need to make and how to find other income uh, is a huge piece of that. So if you if you were to talk to somebody who is looking at majoring in music education, but they really want to become a gigging musician. Or let's say they're looking at music performance, but they really want to become a gigging musician. Um, Does it matter? Does it matter what uh, someone chooses to major in in college? Or uh, would you suggest that they go in one direction or the other? Or is there some other major or, uh, you know, after high school experience that you would say, hey, this is a really good idea to, to get this kind of experience under your belt? Speaking from my own experience, um, I, th- I think that finding a major, like if you are set on this is what you want to do and you're going to do it no matter what, um, finding a major that makes you as well-rounded and kind of diverse in terms of your musical skill set and, you know, your music technology skill set, finding whatever major makes you the most well-rounded is probably the best thing you can do in today's kind of music industry climate. Kind of for the reasons I described before, where we're expected to do more as individual musicians than we have been, you know, in the past. Um, so some people go for music performance, some people go for recording engineering, some people go for music education. Um, I'm grateful for my music ed degree because it's a very broad degree. You spend time, I mean, there's, there are just so many requirements. You know this, Lee, you went through it. Mm -hmm. There are so many requirements, um, on just things that you kind of have to be savvy about in terms of just learning other instruments, taking classes on brass, woodwinds, all this stuff. Um, learning composition techniques, learning theory, learning about music technology, learning classroom techniques. It's just a very, very, very broad degree. All the while you're performing in chances are four or five ensembles a semester. So you're getting tons of performance experience. You're doing your juries, you're practicing, you're learning literature. Um, so the music ed degree is, is a good one to to kind of spit out a well-rounded musician, I think if yeah. if the student digs in, that's the other yeah. component that we'll talk about in a second. But um, I know plenty of people who have gone for performance, and that can work as well. I think, in my experience, uh, when you are trying to be a gigging musician, probably if you're not working in the classical world, probably the last thing you'll ever hear is like. Do, where, uh, where's your degree from or do you have a degree in performance when you're trying to get like a gig if you're a drummer or a guitar right. player or whatever so the experience and what uh, 
the amount that you learn and the amount that you improve in college is ultimately what matters. It doesn't really matter if you're trying to be a gigging musician where you went. Maybe you get some good connections based on where you went, but like nobody really cares where you went, I guess. Uh, It's really just like, what do you have to offer us? So So I think I know where you're... Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I have this thought. Yeah. uh, It sounds like what you're getting at and when you talk about digging in is like just checking off the boxes because someone says these are the boxes to check off isn't enough. Like saying, oh, I went to this school and I got this degree and I took all the classes I needed to take, so you'll pay me, right? Right. Doesn't really work. Not going to happen. No. And I will say like from my own experience that I went to school for music ed and I got a degree that says I can go teach in public schools And that is probably the thing that I have used the least. But the things that I have used the most from my college experience are things that I chased after that weren't even part of my degree. So when I was in college, uh, I just got really interested in arranging. But I wasn't taking classes on arranging or anything. I took like a couple of composition classes that were required for the degree. But I got really interested in arranging, so I started talking to professors like, hey, could I do some arrangements just for whatever, for the ensemble? We could just read them in rehearsal. They don't need to be performed. I just want to do it. I'm interested. I want to do it. I want the experience. And so I ended up doing that a lot in college, doing arrangements for university ensembles, and then cut to years later when I'm outside of school, this thing that wasn't technically a part of my degree I'm now getting hired to do, and it's like contributing to my workload and my income. Um, the other, another thing that I got into was when I was in college, I was a percussion major, but I chased after piano. I wanted to learn jazz piano. We didn't really have a jazz program, so I, I went to some professors that I knew, knew this stuff, and I asked them questions, and I put in a lot of time just to learn about theory and voicings and. And this was all, like, I wasn't getting any credits for this. It was all just kind of on my own. I, I remember when uh, when I came to visit you in Nebraska, when you were playing for a theater company uh, out in um, some state park out in the middle of Nebraska, yeah. you were saying, oh, I'm working on learning uh, Cherokee in all 12 keys. Yeah. And I'm a pianist, <laughs> and, and I've played jazz, but I've never, I've never done that. Yeah, yeah so what, I guess all that is to say... Um, you know, the school that I went to is not like a name school. It's a state school. It's a great school for music education. It's at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I'm grateful for my time there, but nobody knows, like when I moved to Nashville, nobody knows what that is. They don't know any of the faculty. They don't recognize anything about it. But my time there prepared me for what I'm doing now because I just like, I went for it. Um, tons of people do. I'm not, I'm like no exception to the rule or some exceptional student. I'm just saying that like the most important thing that you can do if you're going into school for music is just be ready to dig in and get as much as you possibly can out of that education. Just like go for it because your time there is limited. It'll go by fast. It's probably expensive. So you want to make that count. Well, that's awesome. Great advice. Um, we could probably keep talking forever, and maybe we'll even talk again, Chris, sometime about 
your your arranging and your composition because that's a whole other side of what you've done that people do make um, they have kind of even as a bigger piece of the pie than you have uh, yeah. but you could probably share a, even more about that than you did we spent a lot of time talking about your your gigging um, and I'd love to get Corinne on sometime and and talk to her about uh, what she does in the the theater and performance world too absolutely so, thanks so much for talking and uh, hope to see you sometime soon yeah thank you lee it's been awesome man take care all right bye-bye bye thanks so much to chris for a great interview you can learn more about his work at lidecker.com and you can learn more about artsbound career design at artsboundcareerdesign.com our theme music was composed by none other than get this chris lidecker i'm lee savaliksik thanks for listening